been in our church for the last three years, about three years, and uh, Jacoby has grown more than anyone I've ever seen. He's had so much of a fire in him. Uh, uh, Probably two years ago, we went to the ramp, or was that last year? About two years ago, we went to the ramp in Hamilton, Alabama, and he said, this is where I'm supposed to be. And uh, he's been fighting for that ever since. It's not a cheap school, it's a, but it is a place where your fire will never go out. Um, and so he's given up a lot. He's, been, he's earned the Eldorado promise. He's done all these things, but he knows this is where God is calling him. And, um, and he's fighting for it. And if you've seen him out there, he's been serving you lemonade. He's been serving you pancakes. He's been serving you uh, pumpkin pie. He's been, he's been out there serving you and raising money. And I want to give him just a few minutes to come up and kind of tell. He's actually leaving. Uh, next Sunday will be his last Sunday here with us before he goes to the ramp. So, Jacoby, let me grab you a mic. Test. Oh, it's working. Okay. Man, that's a lot of y'all in here. Um, so, you know, all of y'all have been by my side ever since the day that I stepped into this building. All y'all are my family. Y'all know that. I just want to thank every single one of y'all that have, you know, been by my side, praying for me through the things I've been through the last three years. And, you know, ever since I decided I wanted to go to the ramp, y'all been behind my back. Uh, y'all have given cookie dough. Y'all have bought my pies and given me money. Y'all have uh, constantly been praying for me and been by my side. So I just want to thank y'all for that. Um, you know, when I first started, I was thousands behind. It didn't like I was going to be able to go. But, you know, thanks to God, I only got uh, 1500 left, and I'm bad to go. So um, I just want to thank y'all for y'all giving and God for his glory. And, you know, y'all are awesome, and I love every single one of y'all. Jacoby has actually uh, been ministering for us in youth. He's probably three or four times he's preached in youth, and every time it gets a little stronger. The gifting comes out just a little more clear and a little stronger each time. In fact, the last time Lee and I were out of town, we're like, Jacoby, just take it, and uh, and he did, and it was phenomenal. And he texted me, and he's like, man, it was a it was a packed house, and God moved, and it was awesome. And I was like, well, I didn't expect anything less, you know. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? After a year of Bible school, how Jacoby's going to come back to us. Um, a lot of you guys, this is what it's about. Uh, mothering and fathering. It's what it's about. We're gonna, I don't want to skip straight to my altar call, but that's what it's about. Um, today I'm going to be talking a little bit about football. And I just want to go ahead and make this disclaimer that I don't know a lot about football. My father-in-law knows that. My father-in-law is a sports fanatic. And it's embarrassing to go over to their house because I always say things wrong. I always say something. We'll be watching the Razorbacks. I love to watch the Razorbacks play. I love to watch the Razorbacks win. But, I, I, but over their house, I'll say you know something like, I don't know. I'll just say something and everybody just like kind of sighs like, because oh, it was totally technically incorrect what I just said. You know, but I enjoy watching it. But I'm not so into it that I have learned all of the lingo and everything. Yeah, there's a lot to know, isn't there? There's enough information about, about it that there are actually radio stations that they just talk. Just talk all the time about sports. And they never stop talking about sports. Same guys. They just talk, 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 talk. And I'm like, how can you have that much to talk about just talking about sports? But anyway, so we're going to be talking about high school football. And that's one thing that I do really enjoy. I enjoy going to a high school football game, even if I don't even know who's playing. It's just something about when the temperature starts dropping. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about? Is this just me? The temperature starts dropping. They're serving hot chocolate, you know, and you go and you, you get uh, a snack. And you get some uh, hot chocolate and you sit there and it's just, the you know, there's a cool breeze starts blowing after a long, hot summer. You know, it's just the American way of doing things. Am I right? So it's about late September, I think, when that happens. I think, is that right? I don't know. I just, uh, I just watch for it. So, um, so what we do a lot um, in, in my business, what we do a lot is we do stadium sound systems. So we'll go, uh, we were installing a new system uh, at uh, somewhere uh, just recently, uh, a couple, few weeks ago. And as I was out there, what I have to do is I'm actually having to walk the field. And, uh, and make sure that we have coverage, sound coverage everywhere. And so I'm walking the field, and they just put, for this season, they just put down new turf. And so it's the prettiest grass you've ever seen. And I think if I was a golfer, and I'm not, but if I was a golfer, that would be why. I used to work at a country club, and there was something about grass. Something about just green, thick grass. And so I'm out there walking it, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about football. And so there's a couple of things that the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that I want to reveal to you, but then I want to unpack it and give you kind of a greater truth in that. Um, The first thing that the Holy Spirit told me, if you're taking notes, is who's on offense and who's on defense is determined by one thing. Do you all know what it is? It's who has possession of the ball. Whoever has possession of the ball, that's the offense. And if you, if you don't have possession of the ball, you're on defense. So now I can play football, right? I did play flag football. I played flag football in, uh, I was 135 pounds in high school and I played flag football. And uh, it's not the same thing. So, um, And the second thing is this. The mission of the defense is to take possession or at least stop the advancement of the ball. And can I say this? It's not to stop the advancement of the offensive team. It's to stop the advancement of the ball. The ball gets all the priority in the game of football. Who has possession is trying to advance the ball. Whoever's on defense, they're trying to stop the ball from advancing. Because when the ball gets over the, it gets into the end zone, end zone, right? Not, okay. Uh, when the ball gets into the end zone, that's a touchdown. The other, the, the team scores. So, and that's another thing. I know I'm getting off, but you know who made up the scoring thing with football? It's like it's three points, then two points, and thirteen points. I don't know. It's just odd numbers. Anyway, so it, wait, wait, we could just be at a point. You get a point. You know. Anyway, be easier. So um, the mission of the offensive team is not to get. To the end zone. It's to get to the to get the ball to the end zone. I'm about to unpack this. It's going to make sense in a minute. So the first thing we need to settle is this. In our homes, it's time for families, not our church, but it's time for families and individuals to shift from a defense mindset to an offensive mindset. You know why? Because we have possession of the ball. We as Christian families, spirit-filled families, we have possession of the ball. We've got to get out of this defensive mentality where we think that we're having to guard against all of this stuff from the world and keep it from getting in our house. And we've got to shift over to an offensive mentality where our number one goal is the advancement of the ball to the end zone. 
The church, everybody say the church, church. has possession. Did you know that? When Jesus came, He died, He rose again. You know what happened in between? He went and He got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And He gave it to His church. You have possession. I have possession. We have possession of the ball. But we as individual families have been guarding it. We've been trying to keep the opposition from taking it. We have been doing everything except advancing the ball to the end zone. Did you know, unlike normal football, unlike the Razorbacks, when we pick up the ball, when we pick up the ball and we run for the end zone, there's nothing that can stop you. Jesus has paved the way to the end zone. There's nothing that can stop us as we advance. But we're so intimidated. Oh, it's, everything's so evil. Keep it out, keep it out, keep it out. And I understand that. I'm a father. I understand that. But right now, what's happening is we have every football player playing either guard or tackle. We've got everybody on the offensive team. Is that right? Those are offensive players, right? Guard and tackle. Y'all don't know either? Well, we are lost. I should have picked a different analogy. Um, So we have every player playing either guard or tackle. But here's the thing. When you have everyone guarding... No one's receiving. When you have everyone on guard, you don't have any receivers on the field. And that's what we're missing. We are missing receivers on the field. We have everyone guarding. We have everyone tackling. But we need people receiving. Every parent wants to guard. I want... I don't want anything in my house that's going to influence my kids in the wrong way. I, I am guarded all the time. I'm like, who are your friends? Who are you talking to? Let me see your text messages. You know, always guarding, guarding, guarding. But can I tell you a secret? Every child wants to advance. It is in every child. If you don't believe it, try to hold them back. Every child wants to advance. And all we want to do is guard, guard, guard. And they're just saying, just give me the ball. Let me run with this thing. And we're like, no, hold up. The world is evil. We don't want to go out there just yet. And my kids went to Christian school. And I love Christian school. And I have all of these parents telling me, it's like, well, what are you scared? You're going to, they're going to get out in the world, you know, and, and, you know, can't handle it or something. You know, non-Christian uh, parents say that. And, uh, and that's not the case. It's just that we've got to make sure that they're ready. We've got to make sure they're, you know, that they've, like the football players, you know, they don't just go out there, a scrawny little sucker, you know, that hadn't worked out, you know, and just give him the ball and let him rip, you know. You don't do that. you got to make sure they're ready. So I understand all of that. But children, it's in them. There's a fire in them that they want to advance. They want to go forward. They want to push. And they want to push the limits. And let me, let, me, let me throw this out there. What happens when our children see the opposition flagrantly advancing their agenda while we huddle over what we believe. See, the world is advancing. Kids want to advance. They want a purpose. They want something to push for. And the world is out there saying things like this. Humanistic as it is, they're saying things like, you can be anything that you want to be. You just dream it and you can be it. And those are all real positive things, I understand. But that's the world talking. That's not, that's not the church talking. That's the world talking. That's the church, that's the world getting behind our children and saying, yeah, go, go, we believe in you. But the problem is, is what they're going for and what they're running for. And we have the answer. We have possession of the gospel. We have possession of the truth. And we've got to get out of the huddle. 
So we've got to give our children something to fight for and not just against. Our kids see us fighting against a lot of stuff. Can I tell you something? I'm getting ahead, but um, there is nothing that is going to stop the advancement of the gospel. If you don't do it, somebody's going to. But the gospel's going forward with or without you. And I want my kids to be a part of that. And when all we do is just come against, come against, come against, the world is like, you know, what ends up happening, and guys, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about apologetics. Do you all know what that is? It's, it's learning how to defend uh, your beliefs. It's very important, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. But if we're not walking out into the world with the answer, we see a lost and dying world and we're walking out with the answer. If we're not um, finding very practical ways to serve unbelievers so that they see Jesus in us, Instead of just coming against them and butting heads with them all the time. If we don't change our perspective, we're not, going to, we're not going to be a part of the great advancement, the great revival that God wants to do. God wants the gospel forward. That's what revival is about. Revival isn't about making our life uh, easy. It's not about making, our, you know, making us have chill bumps every time we come to service. It's about the advancement of the gospel. It's about what Jesus died for. And He gave the church. And that's what it's about. We've got to get out of the huddle. Everybody say, I've got to get out of the huddle. Alright. So defense... Back to football. The defense attacks the offense to get the ball. When the defense attacks the offense, it's to get the ball. It's not to hurt the offense. It's not because they hate the offense. I just hate this team. I'm just going to hurt them. It's because they have the ball. And they're fighting because they have the ball. Offense does not attack the defense. Offense does not deliberately attack the defense. Offense is focused on one thing. If there's a, there, there are guards, there are tackles, and the reason that happens is for one reason, and that's for the advancement of the ball to the end zone. It's not, it, it's not, they're not out there, it's not WCW, they're not out there just trying to see who's toughest. They're out there to get the ball in the end zone and get some points on the board. So offense doesn't attack the defense, offense atta- advances the ball. And a lot of us, we say, well, I'm being attacked. The world is constantly attacking me. Everybody at work, they know I'm a Christian, they're always attacking me, so what do I do? You're being attacked because of what you carry. It's time for us to stop taking it personal, getting easily offended, and knowing that Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered, and He said that you're going to suffer too for the sake of the gospel. You're going to take some hits. That's just the way it is. It's not against you. It's against the Jesus in you. So we've got to stop taking it personal. Um, We can't stop advancing. A lot of us, we, we, sit, we sit on our feelings and we get, you know, um, we get all messed up because somebody's come against us, because somebody said the wrong thing to us, because, you know, it got hard or, or whatever reason. And I, real, I realize that there are some hard things we face as Christians. I know that. But we cannot stop advancing. The church cannot hold up. When water stops flowing, it stagnates. When wa- the, the water that is flowing, we just got back from Northern California and the Sacramento River there 
where it comes out of the spillway. We walked over. We we rode. We rode mountain bikes. Rented mountain bikes. Okay. Yeah. We. Me and Leah. We rented mountain bikes. I mean, Leah's sporty. But man, I can't even reach the pedals. Have you seen these seats? I'm just like, they gave me a little bike. And I'm just like, man, you, you got any kid bikes? Because a BMX back there? Because I can get over the bar. I can get on it. And I can get up on the pedals. But that seat, they had, that seat looks just like that microphone over there. They have not redesigned those seats in a hundred years. It is like, I don't... I don't know if I should say this one a little bit. I feel like I'm about two inches wider back here from riding that seat. We went for 12 miles. 12 stinking miles. And some of you are just like, Psh, that's nothing. That's a weekend, you know. No, we we didn't know it was 12 miles. We got out there and we were just like, well, we can turn around and go back the same way we can. We can make the loop, you know. And by the time we got done, it was 12 stinking miles. But... And so Leah was sore. Her muscles were sore. I was just sore in one place. But the uh, we went over a bridge. We went over a bridge and we stopped and looked down at the water. And I could not believe how clear the water was. It was like rapids, you know. But there was places off to the side where there were huge boulders. And the water had to have been 20 foot deep. And you could see all the way to the bottom. Where the water is flowing like that constantly flowing all of the impurities are getting washed out all all this left is just the bedrock and the water becomes clear but the minute that you dam it up it's going to start growing moss it's going to start algae it's going to start growing it's going to start clouding up guys the church cannot stop advancing we have got to be going forward we have got to be pushing forward no matter what opposition comes against us you know what happens this is a side note not in my notes but they, there's a what makes the Sacramento Dam is they've actually uh, well the Sacramento River uh, that comes through Redding, California. There's a, a big dam that they built on the river to make uh, is it Lake Shasta and uh, huge lake and kind of like the way they made DeGray. They just walled up the river and but did you know there is so much because of the resistance of holding that river back. They have generated enough electricity to power just an, an enormous uh, amount of California just from the power of that river pushing against the resistance. And I want you to see that analogy as the church. We have resistance, but the church is designed to push so hard against resistance that we actually generate power, that we actually pick up momentum as that as that happens. So, like I said, that's not in my notes. That's free. So, all right. So... Don't stop advancing. The attack will stop in the end zone. You say, when will it let up? Well, it may not. <laughs> it'll, it'll stop in the end zone. And when we stop advancing, we start blaming. You're talking about the muddy end of the waters. When we stop advancing, we start blaming and accusing on the outside, and we say, well, the world this, the world that, and these problems and that, and everything's, you know, it's all going to burn anyway, you know. Haven't even heard that. It's just like we've just given up. It's like, well, the Bible says it's going to end with it all in fire, so let it burn, you know. That's not why you're here. God didn't create you and put you here and die to give you the gospel for you to sit here and wait for it to burn. That's not what we're about. When we stop advancing, we look on the outside, we start blaming and accusing, and then we look on the inside, we start bickering and slandering, and we start turning on each other. And you know what we end up doing? We end up acting just like the devil's team. 
If our number one priority is not the advancement of the gospel, we will start looking like the world. We will start uh, turning on each other. And uh, how many of you... I mean, a lot of times uh, there'll be... Um, uh, I don't think it's any secret. You know, I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm a pro-life guy. You know, I... I uh, I completely, I will, I will stand outside a clinic. I don't care, you know, I, whatever we need to do. But if you've ever heard somebody that is, um, is I'm not going to say pro-choice. Uh, you, you can say which one. I mean, anti-life maybe that would be better. But if you if you ever meet with somebody that's really vehemently very outspoken about. That how, what they think about abortion, there's almost always, I mean, it, it's bizarre. Pay attention. There's almost always profanity. There's almost always just like this, this attack that comes. It's this mindset, this attitude of attack that comes. And it's because that's the way of the world. That cannot be the way of the church. We cannot attack, attack, attack people like, like we see on the, uh, on the other side. So, so anyway, we end up just like the devil's team. So, I'm tired of trying to defend the gospel. I've tried to do that. And like I said, apologetics is this. It's the study uh, of why you believe what you believe. It's the, the ability to defend what you believe against uh, uh, attack or against when, when an unbeliever comes and says, well, what about this? You have an answer. You know, and the Bible does say to be ready with an answer. And uh, so we have to know why we believe what we believe. Now, here's the difference. We cannot learn why we believe what we believe so that we can attack someone who doesn't believe. The reason that I love the study of apologetics is because I want to know in me. Because if, if all we have is a good idea, all we have is what someone else told us, it can blow away just like that when the world comes against us. We're just like, well, why is that true? I don't even know. Is that even true? But when you know that you know that it's fact, then in you, you have it settled and you can face anything. It's for you. It's really. It's not. It's not to use an attack. And there's a lot of debating. A lot of thing goes goes on. Nobody ever got saved in their mind. Nobody ever got convinced enough in their mind. Unless there was a heart change, there was not salvation. So anyway, that's a whole other thing. That's not in the notes either. The Christian's mission is not to defend God's word. I'm going to explain this in a little bit. You cannot pretend to be able to defend the gospel. It's like trying to keep the dark out of the light. It's like you got a light and you're trying to keep the darkness from penetrating it. That's not how light works. And it's like I said, it's all about perspective. The Christian's mission is not to defend God's Word. You don't defend light. You take it into the dark and you let it do its thing. Guys, we have the most powerful thing that's ever been. The Gospel. The Good News. We have possession of this as the church. And it is light. It is pure light. The Bible says that uh, Jesus is the, the uh, that light was the light, that life was the light of men. That Jesus is the light. We have the light. And we live in a dark world. Charles Spurgeon said this. One of the most powerful quotes I've ever read. I'm going to read it to you right now. It says, The Word of God can take care of itself. And will do so if we preach it, and cease defending it. See you that lion. I love the old lingo. See you that lion. They have caged him for his preservation. 
Shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion. What clatter they make with their swords and spears. These mighty men are intent upon defending a lion. O oh, fools and slow of heart, open that door. Let the Lord of the forest come forth free. Who will dare to encounter Him? What does He want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. Isn't that good? Wow. That, that, that's good. Okay. So I have, a, I have five kids, like I mentioned. Um, they start at three and they go to 19. And um, which most people, you know, they say they have five children. You know, they're all under 10, something like that. They just, you know, they had all their kids and they're done. We had all our kids and we were done three times. So we have a 19-year-old and we have a three-year-old and we have in between. So I know the duty. I've seen... <laughs> I'm a parent of three-year-old. I know the duty. Um, I, I said, I said duty. Um, I know the. Is it, is it obvious I have kids? <laughs> you said duty. Um, so I know what falls to every parent. We shelter and we protect our kids because God has entrusted us to do that. God has given us these kids. And we are responsible. We have got to, uh, we've got to protect them. We've got to shelter them from the world and, until they're ready to face the world. If you're not protecting your kids, can I, oh, this is going to be bad. Can I just be harsh for a second? I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be harsh. Okay. If you're not protecting your children from the demonic influences that are trying to come at them through their friends and their phones, then you're not stewarding the most important thing that God has given you. The most important, Leah will tell you all the time, with everything that Leah has going on, she says, the number one thing that God has called me to do is be a mom. What's more important? What's more important than parenting children? What's more important than raising them up from, from knowing nothing of the world and raising them up to... Be, if God has given you that responsibility, you have got to take it seriously. And like, and that's one of the reasons I brought Jacoby up here. It's because Jacoby is like a son to a lot of us. And God has given all of us these uh, spiritual children to look after that have not had any godly influence. And God has given us these kids to raise up and to make sure that they're, they're, they're going in the direction they're supposed to. So we've got to take those responsibilities seriously. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, that movie scene? And I don't know if it's a particular movie or if they just gets used over and over, but it's always this, the smallest guy on the team and his helmet's too big and he's out there and his shoulder pads are too big and he's out there and he accidentally gets the ball during the game and then he just gets plastered and his, his helmet goes flying off, you know. Uh, that's a reoccurring scene. We don't want that to be our kids. We don't want to throw our kids out there and be like, you know, have at it, you know, and, and have that happen to them. Um, we can't leave the person that's carrying the gospel unprotected also. Um, there's a quick clip. This is, just a, this is just a collage of the best tackles in college football. And so, watch this. Best blocks, I'm sorry. Heisman is presented by the National Football Foundation. Martinez to throw it over the middle. He finds Jamal Turner. And Watch 
at the end of the play as Turner catches the football. Listen. That's football. Charles, it's football. What is he supposed to do? I'm having trouble absorbing that one because that's a guy chasing a ball carrier. In the first quarter, North Carolina forced to punt. Travis Benjamin back to field the kick. And how about the huge block from number 24, Chavez Grant. Absolutely levels Melvin Williams. Ball goes back to the opposing 47. But one more look at the Grant block. Melvin Williams, the helmet goes flying off. And Miami took over. Ninth play of the drive here, third down and ten. Puts it left, wide open is Dale. He's got a first down, he picks up a block, that'll draw a flag. Yeah, Marcus Goodwin, you're going to see him up here at the top. The track guy turns into a blocker. <laughs> okay, Where's we can go it there, that's good. There's about five minutes of these. If you if you're if you have taken on the ministry gift the, the role in this church of an intercessor will you stand to your feet if you're an intercessor in this church and you intercede for this church on a regular basis I want you to stand to your feet everyone I want to present to you your guards and your tackles and I want you to give them a big round of round of applause they have blocked for you when you didn't know it they have blocked for our past pastors when we didn't know it they have been here blocking and tackling for you. That's their role. And it is indispensable. Very indispensable. So, thank you guys for doing that. So, so we have a prayer team of the best spiritual guards and tackles here at Victory. So, I'm, not, I'm talking about changing our end goal to the end zone. Not about hurting the opposition. But getting... The ball to the end zone. So how do we advance the gospel as a family? I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 58, 9-12, and I'm going to read it in the message translation because the message translation very, brings this out very poetically. It's not a deviation from the KJV or the NIV. It's, it's, it's very much linear to it, but it's, uh, it's much more poetic. Um, so, And this is God's word through the prophet Isaiah. He said, This is the kind of fast that I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. 
Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Did you notice who's on the front line paving the way when you're advancing the light? This is what he says. He says, um, the God of glory will secure your passage. The God of glory will secure your passage. He said, if you'll do these things, I'll do the things out there that haven't even come yet. Here's what I begin to realize as a father, as a business owner, as, as everything that, that, um, that God has given me. I've realized that the way is paved. Everybody say that with me. Say, the way is paved. If you'll live in, if you'll live in the light... The way is paved. The Bible says this. David said in Psalms, he said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, the path is already laid. But without the word of God, you, you can't see it. You don't know where you're going. God has prepared the way, but how are you going to hear where to go and where the path leads if you're not willing to listen? If you're not hearing God's word and hearing God speak to you, the path may already be there, but you may be over here somewhere. See, God has made the way for us. And that's a, that's a revolutionary thing. It's just like, God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make this happen? How am I going to... It doesn't matter. I just got to stay close to God. I got to be in tune to His voice because He knows. So the light clears the darkness wherever it goes. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.15, and this is our key scripture, and we're just going to go... We may go anywhere from this scripture. I'm just, I'm just telling you. So in Matthew 5.15, Jesus said this. He said, neither... Do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house? Can we read that last part all together after the comma? Ready? One, two, three. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Did it say it gives light to the neighbor's house? I mean, it might. But did it say that it gives light to the world or it gives light to the workplace or it gives light? This focus, what Jesus is talking about here is your family. What Jesus is talking about right here is your house. He said, if you will get the light out from under your basket and put it up on the stand where it belongs, there will be light in your house. There will be light in your life. It says to everyone in the house. How many of you are believing that, that there's someone in the house that needs the light? He said, everyone in your house. You know what my life mission was as a junior high kid? 12, 13, 14. How many of you? I've got, y'all know my oldest four are girls and I've got my three-year-old's a boy. And he is a boy. He's really a boy. He's not like the girls at all. And he's rough and tumble and he's just, uh, um, so it scares me a little because I was a boy. And, um, And I'm lucky to be alive. And I'm lucky that our neighbors are alive. And I'm lucky that all of those things. Um, Because here's the thing. When I was a kid, especially as a junior high kid, I liked fire. Man, there was something about fire, right? It was just this. Some people are laughing at me like, you still like fire. That's scary. Um, So I like to build fires. I still, can I tell you, I don't smoke. But there's always a lighter in my pocket. 
It's a thing. I don't smoke. I don't burn incense. I don't do anything. I keep a ladder in my pocket. I'll pull out trying to get some change. Some people are like, you smoke? I'm like, no, I don't smoke. Like, you're just, like, just like fire. That's all. Um, I mean, I've got a little thing this big that could burn down the half of the United States. You know, it's like, why would you not keep that in your front pocket? Um, so, and then now if something burns down, they're going to be looking at me. <laughs> I did not do it. Preemptively, I'm telling you, I did not do it. I have an alibi. So, I like to build fires. The bigger, the better. I like to build big fires. One time, Jason, Jason Powell told this story already, but I'm going to tell it again because it was my fault. He was on the receiving end. I told, I called Jason. Uh, we, Jace, me and Jason grew up um, our teenage years uh, right down the road from each other, about a half a mile apart on a rural paved road. And I said, meet me halfway. I've got something I want to show you. And so we met halfway, and I had, I had found my grandfather. My grandparents lived next to us. I found his, his can of, of black powder for his muzzleloader. And uh, I knew what a little bit of that could do in a muzzleloader. It was loud. And it was, and it, I mean, and so I'm like, what would the whole can be like? You know? <laughs> Thank God we didn't have Google because I didn't research how to do it. And, and so all I thought was you just put it in a piece of paper, you wad it up, you know, a big piece of paper, and you wad it up, and then you light the top on fire, and you stand back a few feet and watch. I mean, that's what, if I would have had Google, I would have known you got to, there's no, like, teenagers in here, that you have to pack it down, and then, it, oh, James is here, never mind. So, um, <laughs> that if you pack it down, that's where it gets an explosiveness. And if I had have been able to Google that at that time, neither me or Jason would have legs today. And uh, so we, uh, I, I lit it, and we stood back a little bit, and we're giggling. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And, um, and then it fizzled out. And so I'm so intelligent, I walk over there and start flicking at it, you know, and to make sure it was out. And it ignited like that. And if you don't have it packed, it's just a flash bomb, basically. And it just went... I, mean, I just saw orange, just fire and heat. just. And, uh, and then we both ran. We didn't say anything. We just bolted and ran as fast as we could to his swimming pool. Because we were on fire burning. And we, were, uh, we ran and jumped in his swimming pool. And we just left a film, chemical film, on top of their swimming pool. And then we went over, and we had, still hadn't said anything. And we walk over to his front door, and he sits down on the steps. And I'm standing there, and I'm still smoldering. And, uh, and he looks up, and he just starts laughing, and he can't stop laughing. And uh, I'm like, dude, what is it? And he's like, you don't have any eyebrows, any eyelashes, and, and they br- your bangs are curly. And, uh, and, uh, so, and then we just laughed and laughed. And we were like, it, was almost, it was almost like... Let's do it again. You know, not quite. But uh, so I liked big fires. Every little fire had the potential of being much, much bigger. And um, so I want to ask you, why does that junior high kid that liked the fires as big as they could possibly be grow up into a man that likes to keep everything small and manageable to be in control? What, what changed in me? What changed in you? That spirit that wanted things big and wanted things, you know, even out of control, just that, that fire in you. What happened to that? Because now, if I can't control it, I feel helpless. I feel like, like I, I just need that control. I need things to be... And so what happens is I keep things small enough that I can manage them. 
And God has called me and you to do things we can't manage. He's called you to do things that are out of your control because there's only so much we can do. And if we're not careful, what we will do is we will take our basket or our bowl, depending on what version you have, and we'll take the light and we'll contain it. We'll say, I just want to be able to control what God is doing. I want to be able to manage this. When my kids say, you know, I want to go to Bible college and whatever, we say, okay, well, how much is it? You know, and uh, we want to be able to contain what God is doing. We have this thing about control. Adults, for some reason, we like to be able to control things. Kids just build it until it's out of control and then they freak out and hope nobody notices. That's what kids do. So, can I relieve you of a responsibility? Everybody said, please. Okay, let me relieve you of of a responsibility. Paul said this to the Philippians in in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He said, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, he's in prison, by the way, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, Paul was in prison. He was behind bars. He was in chains. He was separated from his ministry. Paul was isolated separated from his ministry, armed only with with a pad and pen, ended up writing most of what we now go by as the church from prison. He was separated from his ministry, but the gospel kept advancing. The light kept going without his hands-on control of it. See, he started some fires. Y'all know that about fire? You can start a fire. And uh, and you can just kind of walk away, and if it has enough fuel, it'll just go. We just got when we got we, when we were biking in California, we saw the the all of the acreage that was just burned over from wildfires. It was so much so there was a river, the Sacramento River. It jumped over the river, and uh, it was a wide river. I'm like, how does that even happen? But uh, people said it was a uh, fire tornadoes that would come over a house, and when it was left, it was just a slab with pipes sticking up. It just eat everything, just dissolve everything under it, and uh, so that's what happens with fire if you if you just if you just start it and walk away, and that's what Paul did in a good way. Paul started a fire, and even though he was in prison, it kept advancing. And we've got to realize that it we don't have to have control of everything. We have to be willing to start the fire, but we but it, at, at that point it's up to God and and the. the you know the gospel is explosive. So, Paul was in prison. It doesn't matter what your station in life. It doesn't matter your present situation. It doesn't matter how closed off you feel from doing ministry. You know, I've lived most of my life with the wrong idea what ministry was. Because I was in ministry. I worked for a church. We worked for churches. That's what we did. We didn't have a job. That was our job. And we thought that was ministry. And God pulled us out of that. And now we realize that wasn't ministry. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a form of ministry. But God, I mean, God has called every one of us to ministry that's probably greater, to a greater degree than people that are getting paid for it. 
the people at Bethel, uh, we went to the Bethel Church up there while we were there, and their big thing right now is that they are saying that they believe that the next great revival is going to happen in the workplace, in the marketplace, that that's going to be the next big revival. So if you're in the marketplace, get ready. There's going to be a great revival coming through you. So it doesn't matter how closed off you feel from doing ministry. We all have the same light. If you hold up the light, the light will do what the light does. Satan thinks if he can keep you locked up in chains, separated, disconnected, down, addicted, depressed, that he can stop your purpose. And he can't. Because all you have to do is get the light out from under the basket and put it up on the stand and you win. All you have to do is hold up the light and let the light do what the light does and you win. A lot of Christians get stuck in their feelings because they think that they are the way they feel. That their identity is in the way they feel. Can I tell you this? Can I relieve you from another responsibility? You don't have to manage your feelings. You don't have to manage and control your feelings. You don't have to do any of those things. All you have to do is get the light out from under them and hold it up. Because when the light is held up in the room, darkness is dispelled and you see the truth. Because most of the time when we get hung up, we get depressed and down and everything is based on a lie. And we just keep rehatching that lie over and over in our mind until we're so emotionally down that it becomes actually a a biological thing that happens to us. And all we have to do at some point, if we can just stop trying to control things and trying to manage our feelings and get the light out. Pull the light out from under you. That's something that God spoke to me last week is what's your basket? And I never focused on the basket. I'm like, because I I grew up singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, And uh, so the focus is always on the light. You know, I'm going to carry the light. Yeah. Um, But what the scripture actually says is that you don't put it under a bowl. You bring it out and put it on a lampstand. So what God spoke to me was, what's your bowl? What's the bowl that you put over the lamp? Sometimes it is emotion. Sometimes I get emotionally hung up. I get down and everything. And, and I just cover the light up. Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. For some of us, it's a sin. It's some kind of a hang-up that we have. And we, we put the lamp under that bowl. We don't want anybody to think we're a hypocrite. We don't want to shine the light. Can I tell you this? If you will get the light out from under whatever that bowl is, the light will do what the light does. The light will dispel the darkness in your life. The Bible says to all that are in the house, did you know the the closest you are to the light, the brighter it is. The closest you are to fire, the warmer it is. So where is it brighter and warmer than to the one that's holding it? I want to tell you, get get it out from under your bowl. Every emotional hang-up can be a bowl. Um, The devil tells you that you're a hypocrite. Jesus said, all he said, he didn't say anything about being a hypocrite. He said, just don't cover your light up. Just keep your light out. So the light is made for dark places and the mission of every family should be advancement for the light. But did you know that whoever holds the light gets the light first? That's what we just said. Uh, what do you do when you're shining a light and you want to see something better? You've got a flashlight, you want to see something better, what do you do? You get a little closer, right? Because it's brighter the closer it is. So like my dad used to... Uh, whether it was cleaning fish after dark, because we would fish all stinking day, whether they were biting or not, and uh, holding while, the light while he was cleaning fish, or, or while he was working on the car or pupwood truck, because, you know, there was the only time that he could, because he had to be out at 4.30 the next morning working. So he'd be working, and I'd be holding the light, and I'd be dozing off, you know, and uh, let the light droop. And my dad has an octave lower that he uses for me. Does he... <laughs> 
He, he'll talk normally to everyone like I'm talking right now, but then he has an octave lower that he uses just for me. And, it's, and, and he only uses, in that octave, he only says one word, boy. And so, and so he'll say, hey, boy. And, uh, and, oh, you know. and so what happens when it's cold and there's a heat source? Y'all ever been cold and wet and there's a campfire? What do you, you get as close as you can without burning yourself. Uh, in Second Samuel, we read this. So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the, Git, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his family. Does the ark of the Lord have residence in your home? I'm going to get through this. If y'all give me just a few more minutes. Um, I, I want to I emphasize this. Um, I don't want to say, does the ark of the Lord, is it welcome in your home? Because here's the thing. There's a problem when somebody says you can come over anytime. Because they don't necessarily mean that. They don't mean anytime. Right? They mean come over when my house is clean and you've given me advance notice, blah, blah, blah. So when somebody says come over anytime, I don't even hear it. Because you don't mean it. Because if you meant it, you would say come over Friday night for dinner around 7 p.m. And now you've created a place for me. And I've, I know I'm, I'm invited. You've created a place. I know I'm not going to walk in on something. And you're going to say, oh, you know, you know, you told me I could come over anytime. See, the Holy Spirit isn't going to do that. The Holy Spirit's not going to say, oh, well, he, you know, you're welcome anytime in, 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 in our family or whatever. And uh, the Holy Spirit's not just going to just come in. Yeah, you've got to create a place. And that's something that God spoke to us at the beginning of the year, was that we've got to create a place in our home for Him. <clears throat> Y'all sing this song with me real quick. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace. Thou art welcome in this place. Ooh, let's sing that again. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, Thou art welcome in this place. So here's what the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says, So do you want me there before you rush off to work? Or after the late show? Where do you want me? Where's my place? Guys, I want to tell you, one of the hardest things that I've, been able, I've had to do is actually get up in the morning and spend time with God. Because when I get up in the morning, it's everything. <laughs> you know? Everything comes at you in the morning, and it's like, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, and my phone's been already notifications on my phone. I wonder what's going on and whatever. Guys, we have got to create a place for Him where nothing else is. 
And I know a lot of us have noble reasons like that, but a lot of us, we just watch the late show instead of spending time with God. Or a lot of us, you know, we get up just in time to get out and brush our teeth and get out the door to work. You know what I'm saying? We've got to have a place for Him. So God never builds His own altars. Did you know that? Never in the Old Testament did God build an altar to Himself. If there was an altar, it was built by a man. If there's going to be one in your home, you're going to have to build it. If there's going to be an altar in your home and in your family, it's up to you to build that altar. So I want to look at you to look at your neighbor. Go ahead. And I want you to say this. Do you have an altar? Alright, now if they looked at you like a deer in the headlights, turn to them and say, it's time to build one. See, we started this morning with a bunch of football analogies. And for those of you that are like me, that football isn't your thing, let me break it down for all of us. Number one, you have the answer to every situation. Number two, the world needs that answer. Um, there's a scene in a... Have y'all ever seen... I was asking y'all this the other day. Um, and Mars Needs Moms. Have y'all ever seen that cartoon? It's a pretty obscure, I know. But there's this scene in Mars Needs Moms where the little boy, they're on Mars and they have these oxygen masks and the little boy's mask breaks. And it's pretty graphic for an animated <laughs> film. And so, and he's gasping. And his mom runs over and takes off her mask. And there's this lever that comes up where you can take it off. And she runs over and she takes off her mask and she puts it on him. And he's already going unconscious so he can't fight her. And, and he put, she puts the mask on and then she turns the th- lever down and breaks it off. And she's standing there without a mask. And it's a very graphic scene, but it's a very great um, parallel to what you and I are called to do as believers. The world doesn't need any more debaters. We've seen debates. The world don't need no more of that. Nobody wins a debate. You're either the idiot or you're the jerk. If you dominate, you're a jerk. If you don't know anything, you're an idiot. You know, nobody wins a debate. The world doesn't need any more of them. The world needs the heart of a mom or a dad that will rush into a suffocating world because they're the only one with the oxygen. Sometimes when the world is fighting you, you've got to know that's what dying people do. How many of you have ever seen somebody drowning and they can't touch the bottom and they're not able to swim? They don't care who you are. I've seen I've seen family members almost get that could swim almost get drowned by other family members who couldn't because you shift into a panic mode where you don't care who you hurt you just got to stay above water did you know there are so many people in the world that are just trying so hard to keep their head above water they don't care if they pull you down just to do it it's panic mode at that point it's time for us to shift out of judgment and be like our Savior and, and feel compassion. Anytime Jesus ever relieved someone of what was coming against them, whatever demonic influence or whatever it was, whatever sickness, before He did anything, the Bible records specifically that He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He didn't judge them and say, you know, well, psh, you know. He had compassion on them, and through that compassion, that love, who God is, the Holy Spirit was able to flow.
and miracle happen. The world needs our heart. Sometimes when the world is fighting you, you've got to realize that. So, everybody say, stop taking it personal. There's no time for offense. It's time to shine. If you're here and you have a a cell phone, pull your cell phone out. We're going to end this way. Pull your cell phone out. Does anybody... Y'all don't bring your phones to church? I know better than that. Y'all have figured out how to put them on silent, though. That's pretty awesome. So... You know, uh, you know when a church is outreach-driven by how many cell phones are ringing during church because they don't know they're supposed to silence it. Remember to silence it every Sunday morning. So, um, so everybody, hold out your phone. You got your phone? Do you have a flashlight on it? Mm-hmm. All right, if you don't have a phone uh, with a flashlight on it, uh, pull out something and pretend that it's a flashlight. <laughs> then after the service, go over to the AT&T store and join the rest of the world. <laughs> and uh, Verizon, Cricket, whatever. They'll make it easy for you. They'll stretch it out over two years. They'll sink you in the end. But Okay, so now everybody stand up with your phone. Shine your light. Let's turn off the house lights real quick. Woo, look at that. We're going to de- de- declare something this morning. Are you ready? Let's declare this. I'm going to say it, and then you say it. That looks beautiful. This is better than John Mellencamp in 1986. <laughs> that was... This was such a far advancement from lighters. So, all right. Everybody say, this is how I live. This is not how I do church. This is how I do work. This is how I do family. This is how I do Walmart. This is not just how I do Christian relationships. This is how I do all relationships. This is not how I do easy times. This is not how I do happy times. This is how I do every day. No matter what. Because it's the only thing that has the power to change anything. Amen. Alright, lights on. We love you guys. Y'all have a great afternoon. Y'all are dismissed. Are dismissed. And uh, we'll see y'all at 5 p.m. for Spanish service. Don't forget. And uh, love you guys. Y'all have a great rest of the day. Have a great rest of the day.